Hello and welcome to the Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett, as per usual, as ever, talking ahead of the Manchester Derby, the first Manchester Derby of the season, which if Manchester United win, they could go three points behind Manchester City, which <laughs> is quite a ridiculous thing to say, isn't it, Rob? It's ridiculous, but also reflective of where we are in the season, isn't it? Is that, you know, we hear all this doom and gloom around Man United and some of it is warranted. But yeah, you're that close to the top of the table still. And it's kind of, as I think I described it last week, as perverse. So it is still perverse. And and you are relatively close to those teams at the top. So your, your destiny is in your own hands. Yes, it is indeed. United winning <coughs> in midweek. Andre Onana saving a penalty with the last kick or the last touch of the ball in the game, saving a penalty against Copenhagen. Harry Maguire had scored the winning goal, as it turned out to be, the opening goal and the winning goal for United to get their first win in the Champions League this season. Could have been different. Let's just say that. But could that be a potential turning point? We'll talk about that today. We'll talk a little bit about... Uh, Richard Arnold potentially leaving United when, well, say when or if uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe completes his uh, 25% takeover of uh, United shares and ownership. And we'll look a little bit about how United do go about beating Manchester City. But subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch us on YouTube as well. The Promised Land and Manchester United podcast. Like the video, subscribe, leave a comment. And pop the notification bell on so you never miss a show. Follow us on social media at double underscore Scott Saunders at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and MU on X as well. So let's just reflect a little bit on the other night, Rob. Hmm. I was there. It was a a painful game to watch for (laughs) a lot of it. We talked about style the other day and how you can't really see a discernible style. I thought United were a little bit better Maybe they weren't, actually. Uh, Well, they got the win. Let's just say that that's the most important thing, right? But it it just so happened to come from two players who've had about as much criticism as anybody in that team over the course of the last eight weeks for Onana and three, four years for Harry Maguire. Yes. Uh, uh, We we decided last week to do that show, didn't we, on style and substance. We, We wanted to talk about it because it's a kind of, prevailing theme at Man United with this team, isn't it? And and I think in that first half, we saw the same problems there, Scott. Like you were there in the stadium. Um I don't I don't know what they're trying to do after time. The first half seemed to be at the moment where everything is on fire. And then at half time somehow Ten Hag has to put those fires out and find ways to win football matches. So Yes, you're, again, we said as well last week that you might have to rely on some of your people that have had criticism and maybe you don't want in the team for whatever reason. I think Harry Maguire is the is the obvious candidate there. But I'm pleased for him. I'm really pleased with, uh, with Maguire's performances, but also just pleased for him that he can have that moment. And also pleased for Anana. You know, I didn't realise, Scott, until we looked at the stats a little bit deeper. You know, we did a load of study on Anana before he came to United and looked at his kind of deeper stats. And one of the ones that completely missed off was that he saves one in four penalties that he, that he faces. One in, in four. Wow. Yeah. So he's got he's got a one in four career club save uh, ratio. So he, he saves something around just under 25% of all penalties that he faced in his career. So you, you, you lose that, don't you? Because you don't think about it. But now he saved that penalty. That will be in people's minds, I think, forevermore. And there, it's always the things like with De Gea, isn't it? When De Gea used to be up against penalties, is that is that everyone always thought, well, he's not going to save this because his career save rate was very, very low. So a great you know moment. What, though, for I'm going to dig this up, actually. This is hmm. something that the guys at Night Min did the other day. Uh, David De Gea's saving record of saving penalties... I think he say four, like fourteen. Let me just, uh... yeah. He, he had one season where he saved like three in five or something, and it kind of boosted his elevations by about five years in terms of his statistics. I'm, I'm digging up an article. You can read this yeah. on nightmin.com. Hmm. And David Hayes saved fourteen penalties in his in his career. Yeah, facing seventy four 
that's a lot of penalties to face. Uh, 18.9 yeah. penalty saving ratio. Yeah. Andre Onana's is at t- over 24%. Yeah. Save nine penalties from 37. Yeah. Which is uh, not as, well, a lot better. But it just seemed like, I think David De Gea went about eight years without saving a penalty, didn't he? That's so right. So you kind of just expect every penalty <laughs> against United to go in. The percentages are negligible, but it's perception. That's what it is. And it's about, you know, now Onana saved that penalty. Every time there's a penalty now, people, United fans especially, will think about this moment, won't they? They'll go, he can save it. Whereas I think with David De Gea, everyone remembers penalty shootouts in Europa League finals where he doesn't get near, what, whatever, 15 chances on goal and he doesn't get near any of them. Uh, and it's the different kind of goalkeepers, aren't they? In the sense that I always think of De Gea being a kind of a flat saving goalkeeper. So someone who actually, you know, dives to corners. Whereas I think when you look at Anana, he's, I always thought it more as that kind of modern, you know, goalkeeper in terms of star jumps and arms higher and and, and kind of being more athletic. Um, but we've not really seen that from Anana yet, have we, in, in a Man United shirt? So this was that moment. I think it's a good save, wasn't it? Hand up. It was really, really difficult save. Not a bad penalty. Um, but we needed him in that moment. And of course, that changes the narrative. If you win that Champions League game, you're not out of the tournament, which is what that would have meant. Yeah, big uh, big win. They needed to win that and they still need to win probably at least three. They need they need 10 points from this group at, at the very least, I would say. And, yeah. and they've got to keep winning. Do you have any confidence they go to Copenhagen and go to Turkey and get three points like they need to do? I, I personally don't, but you never know. You never know. I, I don't they, they do in that. They, they they can just sometimes get through games and win them when you kind of don't know how and that happened the other day. And that's yeah. okay. You know like mm. if you don't play well make sure you win. It's the same mantra over and over again. That's how you have to be. I think maybe the worrying thing about this game Scott was that it was quite clear that Copenhagen had a philosophy and a plan and their philosophy is they get the ball on the deck, they're a ball playing team. And they will hurt you in transition if you allow them. So I think that is the problem, is that you're playing a team that stylized, know what they're doing, and they do it in the Danish league every week. That's part of their their style of play. And I think with Man United at the moment, I don't think any of us have a real clue about what the style of play actually is. Yeah, we want to play good football and win, but how are you actually doing that, Scott, at the moment? it's These are why these first halves are so abhorrent. Like they are. The first halves are terrible. And you're kind of thinking, right, now we have to get Christian Eriksen on the pitch. We need someone who can pass a football. So that's where you stand. Well, that the is moment. the thing, isn't it? That, that's, that's it. It's Christian Eriksen at the moment. He seems to be making hmm. a difference because he is one one of very few midfielder players who can pass the ball successfully to a teammate. But that's mad, isn't it? Like all these players on, on big money at Man United and they can't pass football. So like, I don't, I, again, I don't believe that they can't pass footballs. I believe it's all systematic and how, what the expectations are. And you look at United, the slot and, and yeah, if you play Scott McTominay deeper, uh, Scott, you might have a problem. So don't do that, <laughs> do other things. So I think this is where you are now. And I think it's interesting with Ericsson because I don't think anyone has big faith in him to come in and change stuff. But Man United's best football last year, Scott, stylized-wise, was when Eriksen was in the midfield and running the midfield before his injury. So he had that 20, 25 games where he was the person running the team from the six to the eight. And he played really well. And United were, were pretty good and, and went on a big, long run of games there of being unbeaten. Um, Eriksen's your best bet at the moment. Someone tweeted me, Scott, and I agree with this. They went, if you knew you needed a younger version of Christian Eriksen, why did you buy Mason Mount? So that's a decent question. So why did you not go and buy a young version of Ericsson who can play the ball like a Lavia? Lavia is a ball player. Well, he can... he, he's been injured. For... He's been injured, but, but <laughs> he hasn't played again. He but it's might about, not play this year. <laughs> but it's about the style of player. It's about the style of player. And Mason Mount sat on a bench at the moment, isn't he? So if you need someone to, if you need ball players, guess what's got? Go buy some, you know. And Man United, oh, yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it? Like, you know, it didn't really do that. Amrabat's a better ball player than people understand. When you look at his metrics, he's a really good progressive passer. But because he passes from deeper, those passes are easier. They're not They're not final third balls, but Ericsson can give you that. And Ericsson, I think when he's been on the pitch, he just looked like a bit of an artist, like moving into the number 10 spot. And you think, you see him floating balls out wide and sliding them in and you think, yeah, we need a little bit more of that. Well, we'll um, we'll return to Ericsson and 
return to how United beat City towards the end of the podcast because uh, we'll finish up on that. But obviously, uh, the other day, Andre Nana made a, a massive, massive, the biggest moment of his United career by far. Mm. I, don't, I don't know. He might not actually get a, a moment that tops that. Like it, it was absolutely massive in the context of how he started his United career, all the pressure he's been under. There's a lot of, is this a turning point for him? And, you know, maybe he, he can hopefully take some confidence. Uh, United players celebrated with him. And uh, I know you want to talk about this, Rob. We've seen a post from Alejandro Garnacho on social media, which has obviously, you know, it, it was it was not a good idea, was it? Let, let, regardless. No, look, I would rather not talk about it. We have to talk about all things Manchester United on and off the pitch. That's our job. So that's why we do it. Um, it's it's silly, first and foremost. And again, this is like, it's not a huge example of racism or institutionalised issues with the football club. But but what it is, is what it is. You know, like, if you're talking about a black person, maybe don't put a large ape emoji to it in any context. So this, again, is a cultural problem. We've had it, didn't we, very recently of our football club with Edison Cavani. It tells you it's not necessarily about age, is it? Cavani's not a, a teenager going into his 20s. He's a, a fully grown man in his 30s and obviously used uh, negrito, which is a word that gets used in in uh, Southern Europe and gets used in South America, especially in Raya Platanese uh, languages. It's, it's kind of viewed as a term of endearment in those territories, but it, guess what? It's not a term of endearment in the UK. So we live in the UK. That's where we are. And that's where Manchester United are as a football club. And that's where the Premier League is. So you have to have rules around that, don't you? So I think it's unfortunate more than anything, Scott. Like, clearly, Anana doesn't take offence to it. But this is not really about whether Anana takes offence to it. We had it as well recently with Bernardo Silva, didn't we? And Mendy at Man City. Exactly the same situation. If you're on social media, Scott... It's a live functional thing that everyone can see. And we need to educate our players a little bit more on that. If you did it privately, that probably still wouldn't be acceptable, but it's not in the public domain. And as soon as it is, you're then liable to be fined or suspended. And that's kind of what I expect here. Um, I don't know how badly the FA will take that, but I think uh, posting an ape emoji uh, to a black person publicly is not acceptable. Uh, Andrea Nana has uh, responded to that, asking mm-hmm. for no action to be taken. But I mean, yeah, I think you, I think you're expecting really that there is going to be some some fallout from this. Yeah, I don't think Anana is offended, but I, don't, I think the things with Scott, with Scott with racism, it's not about if someone's offended. That isn't what we talk about. It doesn't matter if the person it's directed at is offended. That's not what we're talking about. If it's in the public domain and as soon as you do that, you're then open to all sorts of criticism. And, and the Premier League and the, and the FA do need to have strict guidelines. Like we could only go back um, X amount of years to the Suarez incident with Patrice Evra. Very, very different because people are saying it's on a football pitch and it was verbally done towards someone. But again, he used the word Negrito to uh, Patrice Evra. And he was given a big suspension for it, wasn't he? Because it, of, it was on a football pitch. I think we have to view social media differently now, Scott. And football clubs need to educate, especially the younger people, about how you use social media and what is acceptable and what isn't. I think as well, the FA will probably put Garnacho on some kind of course to educate him about what is considered acceptable in terms of racism and what isn't. I don't think Garnacho is racist. Of course I don't. He isn't racist. But it was a bad post. It was bad. It was ill-advised, and he shouldn't have done it. And and Anana's trying to save his mate. You know, like he doesn't want Garnacho to be suspended, doesn't he, for something like that? Um, so I'm not surprised that he came out quite quickly to uh, to back his teammate. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll wait and see how that one develops, and uh, we'll pick up on it if there are if there are developments. I'm sure. Um, but yes, uh, United have beaten uh, Copenhagen in the Champions League. We did want to reflect on it a little bit. It seems like ages ago now. Like It really does. Seems I was up there like literally three days ago and it seems like it was last week, to be honest. A day but, um, in the Man United universe seems to be like a week, Yeah, it keeps it? spinning. It goes fast, <laughs> doesn't it? Um, what we've had this week, we've had United's financial results uh, mm-hmm. come out. Record revenues, still with a loss. I think over around 11 million pounds or something like that at mm-hmm. 11, 12 million. 
uh the debt level what was it rob 800 and something million above uh, 850 at the moment which yeah is, which is a brand, which is record levels and that in, that includes on not only the debt that the the Glazers have kind of brought on to United, but also the uh, the transfer debts which are owed to other clubs. Mm. This kind of thing, we've seen that. We've seen the latest on uh, or the in inside of uh, the situation with Jaden Sancho at United's training ground. This kind of thing. Mm. But we will talk a little bit about Richard Arnold because we've also had Richard Arnold expected to leave Manchester United. He's the chief exec. Would be expected to leave United if and when uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe completes his uh, takeover of the 25% and assume sporting control. I think we did we did we talk about this Rob that he might potentially stay in a commercial capacity. Uh yeah. but it does not look like that is the case. No, it doesn't look like it's the case now in terms of our our own contacts within the club or what we've heard about Richard Arnold. So what do we know? I, I think with Richard Arnold he he owns um a small amount of class A shares which are the minor shares at Manchester United. And there was that option there, as we said on the show, is that he might just get moved to, say, a commercial wing of the football club. But it looks like he wants out. So this is, I think, again, if, if uh, Jim Ratcliffe is going to buy a certain amount of Class A shares and, you know, Richard Arnold decides that he doesn't want to work for Man United anymore and maybe he sees being pushed to one side or to the commercial arm as a failure, then this is an opportunity for him to leave. There's no doubt that as the sporting arm is rejigged under Ratcliffe's, you know, I don't want to say use the word ownership, but part ownership, if he's controlling that, he will want his own Ineos people. We know that. And that means that one or two of them are going to go, isn't it? I wouldn't be surprised if Murto is as well. So I think the thing is with John, uh, with Richard Arnold, is that he's had this opportunity since Edward Wood left to really shine and show what he can do. I don't think he probably has. I think he's shown that maybe the job is a little bit too big for him. So, um, yeah, it doesn't look like he'll be remaining at the football club. And I think maybe one or two more will be going with him. Yeah, we will wait and see. Uh, there is, uh, we don't know an exact time frame yet. And, and no. before this happens, I mean, one would hope that it's done by January. But this is why it takes time, Scott, because you're talking about people's lives. So, like, again, it's like, you know, with Richard Arnold, there will be a negotiating process, won't there? Like, you think about how redundancies work at clubs. It's not the same at Man United, but it takes time to go through consultation processes. You know what I mean? So I think with Richard, with Richard Arnold, for him, it will be about trying to find a clean way out of the football club. They won't want to just say, oh, you're sacked goodbye there will be some kind of sweetener i'm sure in there because this is an exec level position we wait and see how that develops but uh we'll move back to the football pitch now because uh anything else you want to add before you get into united versus c actually no not really i just think uh i'm i'm just quite buoyant now of change like for me it was always about getting rid of the richard arnolds that's really that's that level of management because they're the glazer people aren't they they're the glazer people who have made these choices with the glazers for the glazers so the best thing to do scott is kind of cut that bit of the circle out and bring in new people and i think if you use richard arnold maybe john murto you could then bring in people who are experts in the sporting division um and if you have a position there for it I'm all for that. Yeah, just I suppose just to touch on that, actually, I think we've seen there was a report like one or two weeks ago about uh, Joel Glazer sitting on a committee of three with hmm. Dave Brailsford and with uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe about who makes the decisions and, and this kind of thing. And as it always is, oh, no, this is the end of Manchester United. However, will we recover from this? This is the worst thing I have ever heard in my life. Hmm. Uh, this kind of thing. I mean, so Jim is coming in here and it's been made pretty clear time and again that he's not in this to take dividends out. He's not in this to any, I, I looked at the numbers. I can't recall them exactly about like how much Ineos turns over or how much Ineos is worth. And Man Manchester United, their valuation as a club is like a percent, one percent of Ineos like yeah it is that much different so it's not like he's going to come into United and try and wring them dry for every spare penny that they have like the Glazers have done mm. over the past few years past 17 18 years and this is what I think people have looked at the the bid from Qatar and thought completely clean slate 
I, I don't think this is going to be all bad. I think this is actually like massively necessary. I think some expertise, just some, and people will look at Nice and they'll think, well, they haven't won anything at Nice. That's Nice. I'm not, I'm not being funny. It's Nice. Like mm. what, when have they ever been super successful? You know, if anything, they've had a little bit of practice at running a football club in the, in the re- recent years. Um, and they will put the best people that they have at the, in the decision-making spots. And I think that should be a, some kind of massive improvement anyway, because the people that we have had making the decisions in the past is a banker called Ed Woodward and Richard Arnold, who is basically Ed Woodward Jr. Basically. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to start calling him that from now on, Ed Woodward Jr. I think that's, that's exactly what they are. They're accountants at the end of the day. Um, I think what's interesting there, Scott, it's like I, I'm not massively interested in Nice or any of those projects. I think when you look at them, there's nothing untowards about them. Yeah, there's some people unhappy at Nice and they haven't had all the success in the world, but Nice are a very small football club. You know, they're not they're not a big team. And it's actually quite good, I think, that they've had this experience behind the scenes running a football club. I'm more interested in their acumen of running other sporting projects. You know, in the same way that when we look at Red Bull and Red Bull came into football, we were all more interested about what they were doing in other sectors of sport and bringing that into football in terms of a philosophy. So that's what I'm more interested in when it comes to Ineos. One thing to add here, Scott, and we said this last week, and I think this is really important, I think that Ratcliffe and Ineos are already having um, influence over what Man United are doing behind the scenes. Because one of the things that we heard yesterday is that the Glazers will not be taking their dividends. So that's really interesting. So we haven't mentioned that when it comes to the debt because the debt is still astronomical. But for the first time ever, well, not ever because they did it during COVID, but for the first time in a normal practice, the Glazers didn't take their dividends. Is that because, though, the United are absolutely wrecked <laughs> I, I think it's because a potential investor is going to be saying right, i'm putting 1.7 billion pound into your football club i'm getting 25 percent. you're not taking a penny out because i'm not paying your dividends so that's what i think so like i i think the glazers the glazers don't care about how they're viewed the glazers take the dividends no matter what but i think if there's a negotiation going on with a huge entity like ineos like you just said there Man United are only worth a fraction of what Ineos are worth. Like we're talking two, three, four percent. It's very small amount. Um, but if you're a businessman, you're going to buy this football club. You're not going to say, well, do you know what? I'll give you 1.7 billion to invest into the stadium and the team and we'll take football matters on. But you're not taking that 25 to 30 to 40 to 50 million out of the football club because it's our money now. It's not yours. And I think that's that's about negotiation. So it was interesting that that was kept quite quiet. The Glazers didn't talk about that a lot yesterday in terms of the press release. But that was one of the little caveats there was that, oh, yes, the owners have decided that they will not take their dividend on this occasion. There's no reason for them not to take it, Scott. They could have just taken it. They don't care. Uh, yes. So the business decision. Uh, Richard Arnold potentially leaving. Mm-hmm. Is it Jean-Claude Blanc? who is yes. uh, potentially in line to step in. I was I brought into Ineos a while back, yeah. I think earlier this year. We talked Paul Mitchell already. Yeah. And that should... I think people who know how to run sporting institutions, no matter what sport, really, <laughs> you know, if they got some kind of acumen about how to run a sporting institution and they bring a, p- a football person in like Paul Mitchell... Mm. You know, who does have decent history of signing players who are quite talented that can either uh, escalate in value or can actually become part of the furniture at the football club. You know, it's a start. It's a start. It doesn't mean it will be successful, Scott. But like I, I always, again, use this at the analogy. I'm full of analogies, me. You know, if you want your pipes fixed, you go and bring in a plumber. You don't bring in a mechanic. So it's a similar thing. And I think with Man United, they've done the opposite, is that for years, they've just brought in people that would play lip service to the Glazers. You know, like, oh, you're taking your dividends out. You're running the club like this. So we work for you. So we'll just do this. And what you actually need is someone to come in and shake it up. You need people to come in who can, at executive level, can make choices that run downhill towards Ten Hag and Ten Hag can then actually go, this is a serious project and I can buy players in a serious way. doesn't mean that unlimited wealth, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about business structure. So that's the bit I'm looking forward to. And this is why when we talked about Jim Ratcliffe, 
that we were always say more positive than negative when people were saying to us, oh, this is a partial sale. I get why people are upset about that. But I'm more interested now about the structure of Manchester United. The structure will make a difference for this weekend against Manchester City. Uh, Sunday at Old Trafford. That's more of a long-term thing. But in terms mm-hmm. of how do United beat Manchester City, like they're not at their absolute pomp, Rob, are they? They're not. No. Um, I know they won in midweek. They lost to Arsenal. Erling Haaland started scoring again, but has been on the periphery of matches. And mm. like I, I say that, I think he's top scorer in the Premier League. But, <laughs> you know, uh, I know United have trouble with philosophy this kind of thing, but they're probably going to expect that Man City... What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Going to come here and have a lot of the ball. And I don't think there's going to be many United fans who are looking at this thinking, oh, I want us to have 80% possession here. Like, that's the most important thing. I need to see a style. The thing that matters is the result and the effort, right? And we looked at this. We went into this game last season. Garnacho set up Rashford and United won. They, mm. they they won this match 2-1 when City were, you know, that was in City's treble season, for example. And as much as now we look at, oh, United, uh, there's loads of things wrong again. That's a, I, I, How do you feel about this to start with? Because I don't, I'm kind of expecting United don't win, but I would not at all be surprised if they turned up. Well, we're not favourites, put it that way, first and foremost. But you're right about what you say about Man City. We've been talking a lot about them in the last two or three weeks away from podcasts and with with other work. And I think the thing is with City is that, yeah, they lost a couple of games back to back and some of the performances have been a bit skewed. It's been interesting about what Guardiola's been saying about the team because, again, he kind of gives you these little Easter eggs and he's been talking about Haaland and saying, you know, Haaland still scores me all the goals, but... I want him more involved in build-up play. You know, it's kind of showing there what what the issue is, especially the issue that we're actually seeing. Um, like last year, where Haaland scored a million goals, people do forget that it took time to integrate Haaland into the team, even though he was scoring goals. But there were times where he was like getting six touches in the game. Scott, he was scoring twice with those six touches, but he wasn't helping the team in the build-up. And we always said that when you change stuff at Man City, and they've changed a fair bit in the summer that that might expose you. And I think that's what's happened, is that Man City don't look as holistically good. I think you look at a player like Julian Alvarez, Scott, and he worries me a little bit more than, say, Haaland, just because of what he can do in the final third and through midfield, because he's a very talented player and scores goals as well. And he will set Haaland up, so Haaland will also still carry on scoring goals. But United need to play counter-press, counter-attack, and that's it. Like You don't need to be good on the ball. You don't need to have loads of possession we know man united are not great with the ball at their feet it's just about work like the first things you said there scott work hard if you can work hard and address man city as high up as possible and get the counter press on you've got a chance if you can catch man city when they make mistakes on the front foot in your final third you can catch man city on the counter attack so you've got those two weapons and united are quick so you know we talk about hoyland we haven't talked enough about how quick he is but he is quick. Rashford is quick. You know, Anthony is quick. You've got these players in your squad who are fast and you have to use that. And that's what you've got to lean on. You're not going to outball Man City. You ain't going to get the ball in the deck and say, look at us, look how good we are. And we're going to make you look silly. They are five times better than you on the ball. That's a made up statistic I just made up, but it feels like that five or 10 times the amount. So don't go do that. 
go and do what you're good at. And I do think United have a chance. I always think against the bigger teams, even though last season's record does not reflect that, is that... It was good at Old Trafford, though. It was good they, at Old Trafford. With City, yeah. And and I, and I think the thing is... is oh, they, they beat Arsenal, they beat Tottenham. They, uh, yeah. It's that. It's the mentality. Against bigger teams, they go into those games going, oh, we're a big team, they're a big team, so we're going to run around a bit more. And then they play a smaller team or Brentford in the first half, and you're like, what are you doing? They play Copenhagen, Scott, in the Champions League we just talked about. And in the first half, it was just the most dysfunctional thing I've ever seen. Whereas I think if they were playing Bayern Munich at home, they probably would have played better. They played quite well at Bayern Munich when they went there recently, even though they lost that football match. So I think that's a lot to do with it, with mentality of this United lot, is that City will come and they'll be ready. Because they're like, if we're not ready against Man City, we're losing this by five. So we have to be ready and we have to run and we have to work. There are still issues, Scott, around some of that with the press. Like, it's still just weird. You watch it and they do it for 10 minutes and then they stop doing it for 10 minutes and then they do it again for 10 minutes. Then you see Eric Ten Hag holding his head on the touchline going and then they do it again for 10 minutes and they don't do it again for 10 minutes. Um, the manager has to find solutions for that. But I think against City, they'll be up for it. And that's the first thing you need to be. So what kind of, uh, what 11 are you expecting then? Because we talked about Ericsson, said we'd come and towards the end of the show and talk about him again. Mm. He does offer that, you know, ability to pick a pass and yeah. keep possession. But we know by now that Christian Ericsson doesn't have the, the physical, you know, capabilities really to go and charge around pressing for 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. And there are other players in the team perhaps who... And Ericsson's been formally made a, a bench player this season. And yeah, not an impact player, but, you know, somebody who can come on and change the course of a game. You bought Mason Mountain, who's barely kicked the ball recently uh, on on the pitch in the first team for United, whether that be to injury or because he's on the bench. He can offer high energy, high pressing, this kind of thing, but we've not really seen him. Uh, we've had the conversation about Rashford a lot. I don't, I don't think he's going to drop Rashford this time around, but, you know, what do you think he'll do? there's what I think he'll do and then what I would like to see. So they are two de very different things. Um, I would like him, I would like him to play Ericsson. I think you should play in this kind of game, 4-2-3-1. Why? Because you can have five in midfield behind the ball if you need to, and you can break on the counter press and the counter attack. So that leans towards that, but it's who do you start and what, you know, where do you play players? Um, I've got to say this, Scott, even though, we suggested that Scott McTominay should deserve an opportunity and Scott McTominay has shown that he is a goal for it for Man United as he is for Scotland. I think in this kind of game where you need to be as neat and tidy as possible, I don't want to see Scott McTominay start games, not, not in these kind of games. And the more we see this kind of football match, I think to myself, he's better coming off the bench, especially if you're trying to save a game or win a game from, from late in a football match. Um, so I would like to see four two three one and Amrabat and um, and Ericsson is is the deeper two, because Ericsson can give you that control on the ball when you need it to slow the game down at least, and also to be able to maybe interject to go up higher up the pitch and play as a ten. I think he'll play Casemiro. I think that's what he'll do. I think Casemiro's had a few days off, so Casemiro and Amrabat maybe as a four two three one, maybe even Casemiro and Ericsson. I don't know. Uh, and I would, I really want to see Bruno Fernandes just play as the ten. I again, think again in the Copenhagen game, Scott, we saw that when when Bruno was ha having to play deeper, just looks like a squashed version of Bruno Fernandes. He's just not as good. But when he's in the final third, he's just a better footballer. So that seems like Groundhog Day. I feel like I say that every week, and I want to see more of that. So I want to see Bruno play closer to Hoyland. Um, like you just said, he's not going to drop Marcus Rashford, is he? But I think Marcus's first team future should be on the line. He's just not in any sort of form, but he will definitely play him. And I think he'll probably definitely play Anthony as well. Um, the Mason Mount thing is weird. Like you bought Mason Mount to come in and do these things to be a someone who comes in as an eight, but has actually got functionality as a 10 and functionality in wider positions. And you're not playing him because you're worried about his form at the moment, but you're not worried about Rashford's form. Or maybe you are worried about Rashford's form, but you're not changing Rashford. <laughs> so there are there's loads of this here about people want to call it favouritism, but I always say it's just who managers trust. Uh, and I think with Ericsson, I would start him because I think you need a ball player, but I would not be surprised if Ericsson comes on for the last half an hour again. 
and you're you're fighting fire. The yeah, first half, I, I, the I first half is awful. City hammer you on the ball. You get to half time. We're all stood there like this at half time, going, "United can't, you know, trap a bag of cement. What's going on here?" And he has to try change it again. That seems to be the common theme, doesn't it, with this Man United team? He's been sticking with McTominay quite a bit, hasn't he? Yeah, because um, he's offering. Joe, you know, I actually in the thought third. he was really good at the six the other day. I actually thought he was. And maybe you probably wince at that. From where I was sitting, I thought he brought a fair bit of energy into it. Yeah. And uh, actually seemed a lot more involved than he would be in the eight. He always has in a double pivot, right? He was always... The reason why Ole picked him with Fred and McFred and that whole fabled double pivot thing was because they had energy. Energy with a capital E, all in capitals. But the problem is, Scott, all in capitals again, you can't pass the football from six. So, like, if you can't do that, you can run around as much as you want. But as soon as he gets the ball, he has to have an out ball. He has to be able to play it to a forward and get them going. And the problem with Scott McTominay is that he does not have that ball in his armory. So, I think Scott McTominay, if you use him as an 8-10 and he's in the box and maybe closer to Haaland, great. But you're not going to start him as a number 10 in this game, isn't it? So, go sit him on the bench. I think he might start in the pivot and you might see Amrabat and, uh, or again, Casemiro, with McTominay, but personally, Scott, yeah, he had a good few minutes in the double pivot before. I've seen Scott McTominay play the double pivot about 150 times in my life, and I don't want to see it against Man City because I think if he's up if he's up against Alvarez in the pocket because that's where Alvarez will be. I think Alvarez will kill him. That's the truth, and I think you just need you need people who can get the ball down the deck, make tackles, but you really do need that technicality to get the ball out on the counter press and the counter attack. So what do you think will happen in terms of you don't expect United to win this? Would you take a draw? I don't expect... Like, I, th- I think we would be crazy to think Man United to expect to beat Man City. They are the treble winners for a reason and we can't pass a football at the moment. So do I think United can beat City? Absolutely, I do, because United are a strange bunch. You know, I do think that they all come into this motivated. And actually, it's been a good thing, Scott, that they've had a few results now on the bounce that maybe they were lucky to win. But you've won them. You should feel good about that, shouldn't you? I don't know if there's a tactic that Ten Hag can employ in this moment of time that makes me think, yeah, you're going to outthink Pep Guardiola. Like I, I can't think of it, Scott. Like We're talking about should he play McTominay as a six or not? That's our level at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> I've had people say to me, oh, you're too high on Amrabat. And I'm like, when you look at the stats... I want Amrabat to play because he is the most tidiest player in there and he does actually have the most combative features and he has good ball progression. So I would rather have him there than say McTominay can't do that. But would I like Scott McTominay in the box, say with 10 minutes to go, if you need a goal and you're going to swing it in? Definitely, because that's what Scotty's good at. So, no, I don't expect Man United to win. I'm not, I'm, I don't know. God, I, I can't think like that. I, I think we could win. But do I expect it? Like I, I wouldn't be a credible football journalist if I said absolutely yes. <laughs> Did I ask that question? I, I should have said, do you expect to lose? Anyway, do you expect uh... to lose? I don't expect to lose either. I expect. I, look, these boys, Scott, for the fans, it's a derby match. They need to go out there and work, yeah? And I think half the issues at the moment is the work rate isn't quite right for whatever reason. So I don't know what that is. And I would like after 18 months for these boys to be working harder for their manager in the way we talked about Spurs with Postacoglu all running through brick walls and running through fires for their for their manager. I'm not quite seeing that at the moment. I don't know why that is. And that will come back to haunt you today in, in the next game, Scott. If you don't work, Man City will embarrass you and you will lose five or six nil. So you have to work hard to make sure you can manage the result. And I get the feeling they will. I get the feeling that, that they'll work hard because they won't want to be embarrassed. Yeah, I know City haven't been at their best, but they have lost at Arsenal. They have lost yeah. at Wolves already this season. Yeah. And they are not... They're not at their very, very best at the moment. They can turn it on on any given day, you'd mm. think. But, you know, if you, I think what people want to see, really, is just application from United. They want to see effort. They want to see everything required <laughs> to represent Manchester United in terms of like the heart and, and all of this, especially on a derby day in the week that United have had, there's a, a minute's applause for Sir Bobby. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they have to, they, they, they simply have to put the work in. And if you lose by a goal, but if you tried your very hardest, 
you know, I don't think it's the end. Well, it might be the end of the world, but um, you know, there's a there's a level you have to hit at United, isn't there? Can I ask you a question, Scott? Yeah, go on. So I, I agree with everything you just said, 100%. Yeah? And when I go to the stadium, go to football matches, that's exactly what I think, yeah? I, I expect to at least see effort. Why do we not see that from this lot? Why, why is it not consistent? I would say... Have I said it on this podcast recently? I think I, I, I mentioned about the, the way that United have done their contracts over the last few years. Mm. And this this is generally, I think this is this is why I'm so critical. And this is why I'm really hesitant with Ten Hag. Like this, and I know that we've had this conversation the other day. Mm. I think if you're given X amount of money, and I, I say this a lot, I'll, look at, I'll take Marcus Rashford as an example. He's worked re- really, really hard. He's now got, a contract where which makes him the most lucrative earner at United. Yeah. It's only human nature that if you've just had and we've seen this at United tons of times where they've given out a big contract and things have fallen apart since I I'm not saying that will happen to Marcus Rashford but he's not playing he's not playing at his best at the moment. No. There's definitely challenges about we watch him and we think maybe you can track back a little bit harder, maybe you can go into that press a little bit faster. This kind of thing. And I feel like the attitude there is still not perfect. And I think that is, that's why I'm giving Ten Hag his, I'm not giving him a pass. I'm seeing, I was getting criticism in the comments the other day as well for not going in too hard on Ten Hag. I think the uh, the, the culture at Manchester United is absolutely rotten. And I think Eric Ten Hag is trying to fix it and is not being supported by the people who are above him in trying to address it. And I think that, that's represented on the pitch and yes you we can say and we said this the other day if that's not happening ten hag should take that player out and he should put somebody in there who will work really hard mm. and yes fair criticism totally but i feel like that is the reason why we are not getting the absolute maximum amount of effort every single game at united we how many times rob over the last few years have we said united can get up for big games but they can't get up for brentford like mm. how many times like, you know, something has to change. I, th- I think you're, com- I think, yeah, we're talking about, again, the culture at Man United. I think you're totally right. And I think that does come from upstairs. Again, we use it. It's a crude comparison because people have said about Spurs. Uh, someone said to me the other day, you know, Spurs players have played half the amount of games that say uh, Bruno might Fernandes. Or, I think that was me. Was it you who said that? So, I think it so, might have been me. <laughs> so I think that is actually true. I, I, I agree with that. I think when it comes to physicality, those things do matter. But I think Spurs fans would say up until very, very recently that Daniel Levy was the problem at Spurs and he didn't support his managers over many years. So is he now supporting Postacoglu? Well, I think a lot of this stuff is a lot more organic, you know, when you're on the training pitch and about whether a player decides to put in that extra 5% or not. And I think it's worthy to ask a Marcus Rashford that when you're talking about the press, because we're not idiots, we watch it and we know what we're seeing, is that, he, he might run at 80% towards someone. He doesn't sprint. There was one bit, Scott, and I, and I don't want to dig him out because I'm not digging him out, but I'm talking about Anthony Martial now. Anthony Martial came on the football pitch and the ball was played from the right back to the goalkeeper. And all he had to do was sprint across the goalkeeper. And he just did. He just did this. Yeah. I remember. And I watched it and I thought, that is Man United in a nutshell. That moment is that I'm not sprinting across. And that's actually why I like Hoyland. Because Hoyland is mostly, right, I have to be full tilt here. And you see him actually getting more tired through the game because he's working hard, at least. You're getting he's 20 years old and he's working hard. That is the bare, bare minimum. But the culture is rotten at Man United. That is part of the problem. This is why we want this change in the part ownership and the, and the structure from above. That's why it's so important. But going into a derby match, Scott, We've got to expect that all 11 players run. Did you see in the last game, yeah, Regulon gets done mm. in midfield and then runs back and just just has a little jog back to the box? It's it's not acceptable. It's unacceptable. If I'm a manager, I'm killing players for that. Literally, I'm dropping them, I'm killing them, I'm getting them out as much as I can. But of course, if there's 10 of them doing it, that's really difficult, isn't it? Because how do you then? You haven't got any left backs. Guess what? Regulon's going to play against Man City. And if I'm Pep Guardiola, I'm saying, right, target that player, get in behind them, because when he's up the pitch, he doesn't run back. 
that's Rashford's side as well, isn't it? So I think that's hard for Ten Hag because he has to find solutions for these things, Scott. Like it's, I don't blame Ten Hag, but you're the manager. These players don't run for you. You lose football matches. You are getting sacked. Just that's football. Yeah. So I'm worried about those things when I go into games because I expect United to run, but God, it should be the bare minimum, shouldn't it? Because if, if you run, you might get that opportunity to score an extra goal or save an extra goal. At the moment, I think with this lot, this it's might sound like... a, this might sound a little bit ridiculous, but taking on the Tottenham example, right? Mm. This and this is this is the difference between Spurs and United. Tottenham dropped Hugo Lloris. He's still there. They replaced yeah. him. Yeah. Not a peep. Nobody says anything. Yeah. Eric Dyer's been there for ten years. I know fans have wanted him out for a few years. Not made once, not played a single minute for them this season. Nobody said anything. No one said a thing. And, and, and that's said anything. Why... Last oh, week I said we're still it. talking about David De Gea who's out of contract. We're we still might talking talk... about it. We might be talking about him coming back. <laughs> that's <laughs> never going to happen. God, that would be mad, wouldn't but, it? That would be that would but, be the most Manchester United thing to ever happen. Is that you know they let David De Gea go? He has a holiday and then comes back for for a month during the African Nation Cup of Nations. But I I, I don't know. I, I just. This is the you, difference. I mean, it's as much it, like for me, it's it's a lot easier to turn around to Tottenham. It is, yeah. like it, it is. It is easier. It is easier. But I don't think that Ten Hag thinks, oh, if I make this choice, then I'm going to get criticised in the press. I don't. I really don't think he cares. I really don't think he th- he cares about that. I think he cares about winning. And for him, it's more that he's a conservative and that he builds kind of relatively slowly. He doesn't really do anything that's overtly liberal in football terms. So uh, I think that's his process. That's what he wants to do. And I'm fine with that. I think he's, he should be allowed to do that. But I do also think when you look at some of these players that are not running, like we could have we could have done 10 minutes on Bruno Fernandes' erratic performances that he runs for a bit and then he doesn't and then he makes mistakes and then, he, then he's brilliant. The consistency at Man United across the board, it's a regular one got pulled at half time and it was because he's still suffering but it was just before I think he has that. been ill as well, regular. He, he? He's had sickness he, yeah. and he did jog back and he shouldn't be jogging. He should be sprinting. But as I said, that Martial moment, it's easy to say it about Anthony Martial because we've seen it before, but that is representative of a lot of the players in the team. Mm-hmm. A lot of jogging. I, I see it with Delo. I watch him. I think he jogs a bit. I think Lindelof jogs a bit. Maguire, I think, is like cannot run faster than Maguire does. So he he just does what he does. So there's a there's a problem with all of them with that kind of jogging culture that maybe we just don't see at other football clubs, Scott. So we have to say, why is that? Why is it that it's okay at that club down the road? But at this club, yeah, we could say wages. I don't think these guys are running and going, I'm just jogging because I'm on a big contract. It's mentally. Well, Diogo Dallo's probably thinking I can I can jog back because the guy who's going to take my place is injured. He might be back in training in 10, 10 days. Sergio Regulon's probably thinking, well, I'll give him a pass this time because he's just been ill he's and been I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult. Yeah. But what are you going to do? Bring Victor Lindelof on at left back. Have yeah. you seen Victor Lindelof trying to overlap? Oh man. Good I'll God. It is painful. <laughs> no. It's absolutely painful. But like, you know, so there's there's not one specific thing. No. There's a lot of things that need Chemistry. to be addressed. It's ke- yeah. like every and like not don't get me wrong. If Paul Mitchell comes in and starts addressing this and starts bringing in players who have the right attitude, who have the right profile, this kind of thing, that's going to take two, three years, probably. Don't and, be and, under any illusions. This ain't going to be fixed tomorrow. And if it's Ten Hag as the manager, because I think that is still up for debate as we go forward, but we would like it to be Eric Ten Hag. We'd like United to be successful enough to stick with Ten Hag and, and to keep the project rolling, is that whoever the manager is, Scott, they've got to say, if you don't run for me, you're out. And it's just as simple as yeah, that. And I'm not quite sure that in 18 months he successfully implemented that. He's done it with Jaden Sancho. He hasn't done it with a number of players. So Jaden Sancho is gone. He doesn't want him. He'll be sold. That's finished. That will be towards the door. We'll find out where Jaden's off to in January, probably. But I don't think he's done that successfully through the core of the team. And I think players know this. So, like, you know, if Regulon's jogging and he's only been at the club a month or two months, that's not a great sign. But he's seeing it from his teammates, isn't he? He's going, now I can jog. At Tottenham, the reason why they wanted him out of the club was for exactly that. They didn't believe he worked hard enough on the back foot. So he's now gone and he doesn't get picked for Spurs. So they want him out of out the club. He's now our club and he's our first choice left back until Luke Shaw comes back. So I think that... 
you know, I, I, yeah, I agree with everything you said about contracts and culture and all of those things. Ultimately, today on the training pitch at Carrington, he needs to get these boys running somehow. I don't know how you do it. Like they should. Yeah, you be, might but... see it. A, you might see it a bit more this weekend, unless yeah. they're four 0 down. Exactly. Like when they score, when they concede a goal, they are as a bunch. Their heads go like that straight away. You see their heads go down so quickly within minutes, and you think they are mentally weak as a as a collective. But I think overall like to see a little bit more oomph from the management to the team. Like I want to see a manager's philosophy being reflective in the players. And in 18 months, Man United, I just have to be honest, we have not seen that yet. Fingers crossed we will, but we haven't seen anything like that in terms of culture. We did last year for a period. For about 20 games. Mm, we did. We saw it for about 20 games. And then they won a trophy and they're like, I can't bother. Yeah, they won a trophy and they went, we've got nothing else to play for now. Well, we got, even I think at the end of the season, we were all convinced that United were probably going to become fourth, didn't we? We kind of were like, well, fourth, maybe fifth, but we're worried now. And we thought Newcastle would kick on and Newcastle's lack of depth and quality was their issue. And that helped United sneak ahead and United just did enough. And that's fine. Do enough to get where you need to be. But to repeat that from last year now, Scott, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I don't want to sound like a downer, but... I. I don't feel confident that they're going to put in the miles to to get where we need to be. It's all very much moments. An honest save is a moment, isn't it? You know, McTominay's double against Brentford is a moment, and moments save you. But moments do not pay the bills over a full season. Yeah, let us know what you think will happen in the Manchester derby, United versus City, on Sunday at four thirty UK time, and uh, we'll see you after that game is played, and we'll be here to dissect whatever's happened hopefully we'll be talking about a positive result hopefully we'll be talking about a win but you can't really expect it at the moment can you but subscribe on all your major podcast platforms and wherever you get them and watch us on youtube as well the promise and the manchester United podcast like subscribe leave a comment for us and hit the notification bell so you don't miss a show and follow us on social media too at double underscore scott saunders at underscore rob underscore b and at promise and mu for the show as well rob thank you very much we'll see you all next time everyone from the promised land podcast until next time hopefully you enjoy the manchester derby but don't bet on it. Right. See you soon.